William Bridges suggests that change can be positive if you can create space for people to adapt independently. On the other hand, he cautions that too much change can be overwhelming and can actually drive an entire system into chaos. As I reflect on the changes in Manitoban schools since the beginning of the pandemic, I worry that we are stepping precariously close to the possibility of pushing the entire education system into chaos. How much change can teachers actually handle before they become overwhelmed? In Manitoba, the province announced its first three cases of COVID-19 on Thursday, March 12th. Schools would close for three weeks. Then we learned that education would be remote for the remainder of the year and teachers would need to move online. At the end of May, another announcement. Schools would reopen June 1st. Despite having to write brand new lesson plans and set up classrooms to meet the new expectations each time, teachers adapted and they dug deep to create memorable experiences for students in hopes that the school year would not be ruined. They made online learning personal and exciting. They participated in drive-by parades to let students know how much they missed having them in their classrooms. And they planned graduation ceremonies that took place online or outside, at drive-in theaters or in small groups. Over the summer, the province decided that schools would open as usual in the fall. Through my social media feeds, I saw my teacher friends adapting. They moved furniture, out with the round tables and in with the individual workstations. They posted videos to reassure families about the new safety protocols. And they shared ideas for successful teaching practices in this new environment. When school began, they posted about helping students to accept the new rules around social distancing, sanitizing, hand washing, and mask wearing. But more prominent than anything else in their posts was the consistent message that they were happy to be back in their classrooms with their students. I wish that the story could end there, but it can't. Over the last few weeks, more change has taken place. The distancing guidelines, for example, have been increased when students were already as far apart as the space inside classrooms permitted. So teachers were asked to adapt again. Some moved to gymnasiums, some classrooms were split between rooms, and at least one teacher that I know is currently teaching kindergarten in two rooms at the same time. Our numbers in Manitoba are spiking with the second wave of the virus. The test positivity rate is 11% today, the highest in Canada. And the list of potential exposures at schools across the province grows longer every day. Last week, the government announced that the entire province would move to the highest level of pandemic restriction. Non-essential businesses would close and everyone should try to stay home with the hope of creating a pandemic circuit breaker. Schools would remain open. We need to remember 
that teachers are more than just teachers. They are people first, and they are living through a pandemic like everyone else. They have grandparents to visit and other members of their social support networks that have conditions that make them vulnerable to the virus. Yet every day at school, teachers are asked to meet closely with people from no fewer than 20 different households. Since the pandemic started in March, we have asked them to change and then change again. I've been so proud of the teachers of Manitoba, many of them my former students. They have really stepped up. And true to form, they have taken the responsibility for guiding our children and youth through a very difficult time in our history. But I notice a difference in my social media feeds in the last few days. The tone has changed. Teachers who have been working to take care of their students within the ever-changing demands of the province are beginning to feel overwhelmed. I think now is the time that we need to start taking care of our teachers. I'm Jackie Kirk, and you are listening to the Research Connection podcast. Today on the show, we are talking to teachers about their experiences teaching during a pandemic. Hello and welcome to the Research Connection podcast, the show that brings current expertise and cutting edge research and connects it with users in the community. My name is Michelle Lamb. I'm the director of BU CARES. CARES is the Center for Aboriginal and Rural Education Studies. It's a research center in the Faculty of Education here at BU. And uh, so today we're talking about the pandemic and teaching and learning. And I'm excited to hear what you have to share from your classrooms. So, um, Alisa, would you like to introduce yourself first? Hi, uh, I'm Alisa Dembo, and I'm in Brandon teaching. I've been a kindergarten teacher and reading recovery teacher for a very long time. And actually, last February, I decided, let's switch it up. Let's change it up. So I applied for the, a position at the new school, Maryland Park. And I'm currently a grade one teacher over at Maryland Park but it isn't built yet. So my role, hopefully it ends in, at Christmas time, but it's uh, at George Finn School in all the grade one classrooms. So my students, my Maryland Park students are mixed in with the George Fitton students. So I travel from classroom to classroom at George Finn School. So that's currently what I'm doing. <laughs> And with the, the pandemic and things like that, my anxiety level w was and still is quite high because mm -hmm. of how many individuals I'm with all the time. I'm Morgan Pelliquin. I um, live about 45 minutes outside of Brandon, but I teach at a small school in southwestern Manitoba. And um, I teach grades 7 to 12 English. So I um, right now have the 7, 8, 9s and 12s. So I, like Alisa, have a big span of people that I see in a day. My school has about 210 kids total. Um, so in the high school, you know, 7 to 12, that's probably about 100 kids kind of thing. Um, the pandemic has been a challenge, but I think um, the kids are being really resilient, which has been really awesome to see. And I um, love being back in the building, even with the masks and the hand sanitizer and all of the things, but I would, uh, I, I like seeing them in person. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now. 
my name is Heather Mason. I have been living and working in God's Lake Narrows First Nation for the last 12 years. And this is my first year as an administrator. So I'm working as the vice principal of the school and I picked a really great year to jump in and trial by fire, I guess you would say. <laughs> so our first question is how has the pandemic changed teaching and learning? Well, because I teach early years, it has changed everything. Um, students are now expected to sit at their desks all day long without really moving where before we could have movement breaks where they came to the carpet area and sat down for story i'm finding doing read alouds extremely difficult um, not only so that all students can see me and see the book and be part of that just feel good miss if that's actually a way to describe it um, but also with the mask on they I can't be, I can't use my expression as much as I did before, like my facial expression and really get into the story with the students. So I find my teaching seems a little bit flat compared to previous. And same with the students interacting back with me. Things just seem to be flat. <laughs> so I'm kind of on the flip side. I'm in um, 7 to 12. And so, um, in my world, I feel like engagement in 7 to 12 can be challenging to begin with. So like Elisa said, we are, you know, limited in our space and in our movement abilities and those kinds of things. So lots of the things, lots of the strategies that we rely on are no longer available to us. So I think we've needed to be quite creative in ways to keep the kids engaged. I noticed that, especially when we were remote in the spring, that we really so I was visiting with a lot of the English teachers in my school division and we all found that we really needed to focus and, and go back down to the essentials. Like what do we want the kids to leave our building knowing and what is the most essential thing for these kids to be getting out of our instruction. And so it really made us prioritize those things and it was tough to decide on what those things were. I really noticed that the school to home connection is more important than ever. I'm noticing with the, the reduced amount of hands-on learning and students sitting still that it seems when I'm doing my rounds through the building that the classrooms, the energy level seems kind of low from the teachers teaching and from the students themselves. Um, but that's class specific, I guess. Um, some are doing okay, but a lot are struggling. I would agree with that, Heather. And I think we were talking about it today at school actually um some of the other staff and myself and you know how you get close to christmas and everybody is just like everybody kids and staff alike kind of are looking forward to that break because we're, we're feeling that drag and it feels like that's happening earlier this year and i don't know if it's because of you know like it's it's more stressful but the teaching isn't the stressful part and i think that that's something that we're all facing right it's the regulations that we're making sure we're following and the concern that our kids are safe and the concern that we're safe and you know all of the other things on top of trying to make sure that we're getting to curricular outcomes and um actually doing our jobs so i think everybody's just feeling the the energy drain that that, that heather mentioned in your various contexts, how did you set up your school or your classroom so that you can meet the various requirements? What does it look like? 
So we've set up our schedule so half the students come on the first day, other half come the second day. So we have less than 10 kids coming at any point in time to the class. We've also offered um, parents to keep their students at home if, they, if they're feeling um, anxiety or stress about the safety of their children. So that has reduced our numbers a little lower even. So we're still within the guidelines you know, there's a lot of challenges that come with being a smaller school, right, with personnel and with, you know, resources and those kinds of things. But in this case, we kind of lucked out because some of our classes have, you know, 10 or 12 kids and within the room, we're able to, you know, spread out. So, so that's been helpful. With teaching guided reading in grade one, we're finding the masks to be a big barrier, like the actual teaching part because you want to model for the students like how to form your mouth and get ready for the you know the next word the next sound and that kind of thing we've tried like those masks with the clear window but they're not ideal they're all. also terrifying they are terrifying <laughs> i feel terrified when i see someone in them so they are so let's talk about social distancing and I know you brought this up a little bit already, but um, do you feel like the social distancing that's happening is affecting learning? So in the classroom, I find kids are engaged with the teacher and that there are way, way, way less disruptive behaviors because A, the class numbers are reduced and B, the, the student is getting definitely one-on-one -on -one time with the teacher. So in that way, it's been super beneficial for the students in our school. Um, but yeah, we are missing out on things like story time and group learning activities and all that hands-on STEM, art, group art projects, like all that really good social skill building stuff. We're missing out on that. I um, would agree with that. I think on my end of the world too, um, I think that sort of behavioral issues have been decreased because kids want to be in the building, right? They don't want to lose the, uh, the being in face-to-face. -face. Social distancing at my school, um, again, we're really lucky. We have a newer school, so we have quite a bit of space, so we can kind of spread out. But sometimes social distancing in my world looks like, like I have a very large grade 12 class. I think there's 22 of them. And um, we are in two rooms. So that is interesting as a teacher. So some of the direct instruction, I can have them all in the room masked on, but then as soon as we go to any sort of independent work, we, we switch to two rooms. And so it's, it, it makes it challenging because you're bouncing between two rooms and you can't keep your eyes on everybody at the same time. I'm very fortunate that I have a student teacher with me right now and he's able to be in there some of the times too. So we are, um, we're kind of working together on that. Um, but I don't know so much that it's affecting learning as as much as my concern as a as a teacher and especially in a small town but i'm sure in the city as well um they might be socially distancing at school but as soon as they're out the door i don't think it's happening and that's concerning um just because especially out here um my town hangs out with the town next to it and so on and so forth plays hockey together you know is involved in different activities so um, as much as we, you know, try to make sure we're maintaining that two meter distance and that everybody's masked and spread out and hand sanitizer and all the things. Um, I think that sometimes it goes out the window as soon as the kids step out of the building. With, um, like with social distancing at the early years, it, it's difficult 
it really is difficult. They understand that they need to be apart. They understand, I feel that there's, well, COVID-19, the germs, they can get you really sick. And they, they understand to talk about it that way. But at the end of the day, they'll be in each other's faces. And so they, they still want, like, they still want to play tag they, at recess, especially like when they go out for recess, they're just all in a big clump. <laughs> but in the classroom, we talk about, we have to be apart. We have to be distanced from each other. And so they'll stay in their desks or their table spots for the most part. But again, with the learning, we like to like center-based learning is really difficult. So we've worked out a way that, you know, two students wearing their masks, being a little bit apart can go to this corner of the room and work together. Um, but in the September, I felt like I really undid all the great work that a kindergarten teacher did for we share everything, sharing is caring, and now sharing is not caring. So switching that language on, on these little grade one students. So they're, they're slowly getting it, but at the same time, they just wanna be together. They just wanna play together. And that's how grade one should be. We, um, we do guided reading groups together, but again, they come, there's three students and myself at a big table but they wear their masks and then we clean the books after. It's all about cleaning, cleaning the books, cleaning their hands. And you do have to tell grade one students this. Uh, the other day I had to tell grade one student, we don't drink our water through our mask. <laughs> Just, that's grade one. <laughs> yes, that's sometimes also grade nine, don't For worry. sure <laughs> it is. And seven and eight and all that, it sure is. <laughs> I was reading an article not too long ago about just how much teachers are struggling and um, made me think that there is some kind of collective grief just in letting go of the way that things used to be. And, you know, you, you used the word flat, I think, Elisa, to kind of describe how, and I don't know, was it Morgan who said we feel like we're in that sort of pre-Christmas exhaustion phase already? And I just wondered if it is sort of a grief process of letting go of the things that we used to love about teaching and now we can't do it that way. Do you feel like that's accurate or not quite? Yeah. Or how do you feel? I, I never thought of it that way. I would agree thinking mm -hmm. about it now. Yeah. I, I just am like, Oh, this is the way we did it. A lot of that fun hands-on learning and I'm missing that. And that's why I feel my teaching is flat right now, but yeah, I'm missing that. So grief 100%. Our next question is about concerns. So what would you say are your main concerns in this stage? Okay, so I've got like three concerns. Um, one is that I'm noticing that students are much, much less active and, and um, their mental health needs aren't really being addressed well. So I'm worried about that. And our school isn't offering extracurricular activities right now. So we're missing a, a large group of junior high students that would be motivated to come specifically for those activities. So we've got students that are probably falling through the cracks that way. And I'm also concerned um, that students who are at home, they're not getting the proper support that they need to, to keep up with the work that they're doing. And, and that's only gonna lead to further learning gaps. We've been 
we had done distance learning in the spring um, without any online um, learning and that's something our, our community struggles with is access to the internet and proper technology so overall those are the, the things that we're needing to consider moving forward. Those are all huge. I definitely echo um, Heather's comment about mental health. Coming into this year, our division focused on, you know, looking at how, how kids could be, this could be a trauma for them, right? And how, how that could affect them coming back. Um, I think I've been presently or pleasantly surprised to see how resilient and how, like, I haven't seen a ton of it. But at the same time, I think that exhaustion that we were talking about that we're feeling, they're feeling too. And a five day week seems like a long week for them. And so I think, um, that's something that we have to keep an eye on. And, and I think every teacher is, you know, doing their best to kind of bring it in, bring the conversation into the classroom. Um, from a teaching perspective, something that I'm struggling with right now is um, the assessment side of things. Um, I'm finding that, so the provincial exams have been canceled for um, this January and I have my grade 12s right now. So it's finding a way to to assess in a way that's authentic and that also gives them a bit of grace, right? Because they, they have had a year and um, I think we want to know where they're at that's in a way that is authentic and true to what's going on in the world. And so how to do that best is kind of, and not just for myself, but for my whole division, something that we're working through. And, and um, we're lucky that we have lots of people in place that are helping us do that within our division, but it's, um, it's challenging. So that's an interesting topic to me, Morgan, because there's a possibility that students who graduate this year, because they had the gap, um, that their grade 12 marks will be lower. And normally I wouldn't think that that mattered, like in terms of their learning, it doesn't matter. They'll catch up to that. I'm not somebody who worries too much about that. But in terms of how we approach them when they come to university and you know in the times when we look at marks in our society um we're going to have to keep in touch with the fact that that was the class of 2021 and what impact did that experience have on them yeah i totally agree and i also think that the class of 2020 is going to have the same sort of issues right with the spring the, the people in the spring that in as of March, um, you know, their, their year was completely turned around. Right. Um, I know that in our rural community for those kids, for my high school kids, um, who were, were doing remote learning come May long weekend, uh, there was an extra set of hands to, to help with seeding and, and working on the farm. So I lost a lot of kids from regular class attendance. They'd still get their stuff in to whatever ability they could, but there was just other priorities that they were able to help with. Um, so you're right. I think that when they're going into university, there's going to be some, some differences maybe to what you as professors would normally expect, or like, I mean, don't get me wrong. The kids are doing amazing things still and, and they're, they're brilliant and they're, they're coping with everything so well. Um, but I think in, in the big picture, there's going to be an interesting fallout from this. One concern that I main concern I'm having right now, it is the burnout concern, burnout between teachers and with students. Like we talked about the gaps that students have, the burnout that that will also place on the classroom teacher. For grade one students, they, those 
pre like those kindergarten students, they missed the beautiful March through June time frame. And so much growth happens in a kindergarten year in that chunk of time. Same with in a grade one year. September to January, it's getting to know how school works. And then February is a little fun. And March to it's it's like let's go. And so I'm noticing burnout is happening with like the grade one teachers I work with because these little babies came in as babies. They missed a good chunk of that fun kindergarten year. And the grade two teachers are struggling because those grade two students also missed a big chunk of learning. So they are behind and the pressure that's on the teachers to catch them up, the pressure that is on grade two teachers to catch up grade two students to be at grade two level is tremendous. So I'm worried about the burnout that that will cause on both students and teachers because you know you can only push a person so far before they break no matter what age they are great we have one last question are you ready take a big breath <laughs> um do you have any information based on your experiences that might be helpful for parents administrators okay so i as I'm noticing that obviously reduced class sizes are, are really beneficial. I mean, we, we all know that inherently, but as an administrator now, that's something moving forward that I'm really going to advocate for, like to reduce the class size numbers as much as I possibly can. It's, it's very beneficial. Um, I just wrote down three quick like tidbits. And um, when it came to the kids, um, and parents, I think that as teachers, we need to teach our kids the technology that they're going to be using if we have to go remote now. So that if um, tomorrow our schools are remote, the kids know how to access it and the parents kind of have an idea. And so making those um, things, not, like making those things known right now. And that kind of goes along with my second one, which is to build strong relationships. Now, you know, let, let the parents have your contact information and, and get in touch with them and, and let them know, you know, how their kids are doing and whatnot. And I think for everybody across the board, whether it is um, parents or school administrators or the government, I think everybody needs to know that your teachers are trying their best and that everybody is working their tails off to make this work. And um, we're gonna fail some days and we're going to be rock stars other days. And I think we just need to all give each other a little bit of grace and remember that um, we're doing our best. And that's all I have. <laughs> Lisa, how about you? I wanna mirror what Morgan said, essentially is that be kind to everyone. We hear that continuously. Um, we are, as teachers, we are working really hard. Um, we make it some days look super easy and some days we, we fall apart and that's, that is life. Um, we have to also like parents, school administrators, the provincial government, they need to know that at the end of the day, a lot of teachers are also parents too. So we're also coming home to our own children, parenting. We can't just be on all the time as teachers like we can't constantly be answering emails or like for example seesaw um messages 
late into the evening that we need to create that boundary of work time, non-work time, home time. So we can sharpen our saw for a lack of better term. So we are fresh to go back in. Thank you so much for coming. It was such a pleasure to meet all of you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Research Connection podcast. You can visit our website for links to everything that was mentioned in the episode and for more Research Connection content at www.brandonu.ca slash bu-cares. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you can stay up to date with current research that impacts your community. Thank you.